Behind you is the door to our prize cupboard and... Oh, can we have a look? Absolutely. Don't gasp too hard. Okay. Oh, there's a surfboard there. This is a branded BFM surfboard that um, we ran as a promo some... Oh, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, I'm Sharon Brett Kelly, and I'm in the prize cupboard of Student Radio 95 BFM at Auckland University with station manager Tom Tremuin. But um, you'll see a lot of merch here from yeah, yesteryear. Yeah, can I a have a wee look in, on the shelf? I see, yep, T-shirts in there. Old coffee cups, empty beer bottles. Cups. Gosh, there's a few treasures in here. It's a lot of fun, and some of these posters, um, you know, if you touch them, they'll turn into dust. But I have to say, Tom, the shelves are a bit empty. (laughs) (laughs) We have other shelves. Okay, have you just had a big giveaway? (laughs) Tell me that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we give away a lot of stuff. Not only is the prize cupboard a little bare, but also the shelves holding the record collection after a big sell-off to raise desperately needed funds. But that wasn't enough, and now the 54-year-old radio station is holding a concert to clear a debt to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Today on The Detail, the bid to save student radio, why we should all care, and why it can't be allowed to fail. There was such a buzz, and each drive show had its different host, and everyone would have its own theme. There was, it was just really a hive of creativeness and passion. It was such a juggernaut of talent, unique skill. You'd hear things on BFM like Mikey Havoc and then Mayor John Banks, and John Banks would yell at Mike Havoc going, uh, you know, you and up yourself, little prick with a tiny audience. <laughs> And Mike have a go, Bohuga, freedom! <laughs> it's, it's just on a radio that you just wouldn't get anywhere else. We'll hear more from Charlotte Ryan and Wallace Chapman, two of many top broadcasters to come out of BFM. But right now, I'm climbing the stairs to the top of the Student Union building to the radio station, which I find suitably shabby but tidy. I want to know how Tom Tremuin plans to fix the fiscal hole. Sit down on on your lovely worn sofas. (laughs) Worn fake leather sofas. (laughs) Oh, they might have been real. It's probably, no, yeah. So are you quite a recent arrival here? Four months, just over, yeah. And you've inherited this crisis? To be fair, I feel like I've inherited a bit of a Ferrari. Like, I've been around student media for a long time, specifically student radio, so inheriting something of this scope was a true privilege and I was just excited to get stuck in. I knew of the immediate and most obvious financial uh, issues Mm. of the station. What's wrong is that we have a significant um, debt to get rid of, to get back to zero essentially. How big? Uh, Quite significantly in the six figure mark. Several hundred thousand? It's up there. Okay. you know, not close to seven f- figures, um, mm-hmm. but it is certainly easily into the six-figure territory. And how did that happen? Essentially, our operational costs over the years have steadily increased, and as we try to replace the old couches with the new couches, as you can see, we don't have the new couches, um, the costs become significant and they become more increasingly expensive we were faced with a significant economic downturn uh, even prior to COVID. I think we've all thought that radio is the the media cockroach that will survive the apocalypse, but 
commercial revenues have been falling for over 20 years now. Um, and so with the arrival of a global pandemic and a handful of natural disasters in Tamaki Makoto to boot, we were in the stasis, this holding pattern of just trying to hold on while still suffering with those debts. And none of this was due to any mismanagement of the financials. So you've got a number of sources of funding, haven't you? Uh, you get money from NZ On Air. We do. And commercial revenue as well as philanthropic paid memberships through our B-card subscription, which historically has been a discounted scheme for local businesses, but obviously in the last half decade that's kind of fallen off a cliff a bit. In the past, the radio station has been what majority funded by a portion of the um, student union fee? So voluntary student membership, um, as it rolled out across the country, decimated most students associations and I was in Dunedin at this time and that would actually uh, that tide of VSM at Otago motivated me to get involved with student media um, because that impacted the student services that an association could offer it's tough in this day and age um, and student media is generally the first on the chopping block because people tend to have a pretty reductive view of print media and radio specifically without looking at the cultural impact. You look at the commercial revenue that uh, they might make without looking at the opportunities, the cultural effects that they afford students and their audience. You know, to be honest, it's just important we get the right person for the flat. So, well, if you want to get the right, quote, person, unquote, <laughs> an array of herbal teas these days is a pre Pre-rec, yeah. is it? What do you I do? I guess as distinct from other stations that have advertising is that BFM, you like to listen to the ads. Yeah. Uh, we make them all in-house and they are fun, tongue-in-cheek and a little bit off the wall. And Corey found me a couple that I remembered from when I was a boy. And I think Wallace Chapman was um, reading out the accommodation guide and it was the where-do-you-do-poos. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was the... Toilet play? Where-do-you-do-poos. <laughs> Poos. Okay, you want to know what it is? The advertisers that we have, they love us. Um, they know that we are the authentic student article. We are, um, you know, editorially independent. We we mean what we say, and we give an opportunity for everyone to say it. So, yeah, but you're not clearly you're not getting enough of it, right? And and are they saying to you, well, where's your audience? Because we know that BFM's audience is getting older and older. It's true that the majority of our audience would be terrestrially based and those are people who are listening on the old wireless, uh, the majority of which are people in their cars. Most radio formats, programs are structured around the 9 to 5 paradigm whereby breakfast and drive are the most popular. So those, that's the longest time you spend in your car and your commute and in, we're fortunate in Tamaki Makoto that traffic is awful so you spend a lot of time in your car. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And I think our audience, if they are, for the most part, listening on, on, on radio, um, you know, naturally they will age out because the people who are filling our newsrooms, our volunteer rosters are students who were born post 9-11. They didn't grow up with um, a radio. And I, mm. as a, somebody born in the 90s, I was probably one of the last generations to do that. But I don't think that our pivot to a digital model with content on demand has reduced those numbers. I think you just go to where the audience is. And the fact that we have a regenerative volunteer base means that we will have BFM listeners for life. And of course, it's not the first time that the management or the executive have said, 
come up with a solution, we all will close down tomorrow. I mean, my colleague Tony Stamp said he was told the same thing when he worked here. How it's a many tale years as old ago. as time. <laughs> um, you know, so it's, it's you've been in this situation a number of times, I think, haven't you? Yeah, not our first rodeo. It might be my first rodeo in this station, but... <laughs> in this station, yeah. right. I mean, in a way, it's like student student radio can't, isn't student radio without being in financial crisis. <laughs> it's part of the brand. <laughs> when I first started, we didn't have paper towels for two months because we couldn't afford them, and so we just sort of tested how dirty could our tea towels get before oh, washing God. them. Oh, God. Oh, no, that's um, revolting. We had, we had a broken toilet seat <laughs> oh, yeah. um, for about a good week and a half there and I installed it myself and it's crooked because I'm not a plumber but we innovate yeah (laughs) you lean back there but it's clean now it's good keeping the hip-hop flame burning since back in the days old school new school true school Thursday nights 9 to 11 p.m. on BFM true bro Tom thinks BFM has around 40,000 listeners a week, but he doesn't know exactly because it can't afford to be part of the GFK audience counting survey for radio. And that's a problem when you're trying to secure advertisers. The station is also fighting the future, a digital future, where you won't move the dial on your radio at all. You'll go online. Despite that and the big debt, he's got expansion plans and we'll hear more about that. But just how important is it to the rest of the industry? Here's Alistair Jamison, the Chief Executive of the Radio Broadcasters Association. Clearly they they need to look at how they can create new revenue or how they can grow their revenue. But yeah, from the outside looking in, yeah, it would appear they've got some, some challenges at the moment. Is it just... What's going on full stop in the, in radio at the moment? You know, radio is dying. Uh, I wouldn't agree that radio is dying. I think radio is changing. If you look at a holistic level, what's happening to radio listenership, then there are relatively stable audiences. Through the commercial side of the business, we measure audience through a company called GFK, and, and that, that radio listenership shows that it is relatively stable at about 75% of of New Zealanders listening on a weekly basis. It's it's nothing like dying. It is changing. Um, the way that people access is changing. And probably, if we're honest, the profile of the type of listener may be changing. Um, you know, I've got teenage kids and they don't listen to a lot of radio, but they consume a lot of content. So there's an evolution going on there. You know, clearly someone like B, that, that creates a, a set of challenges that mm. are probably difficult to to keep up with in some yeah. cases. I mean, given that commercial media full stop is is struggling at the moment across the board, yep. uh, something like BFM would be maybe one of the first to go when advertisers consider where to spend their shrinking dollar? I don't think that's an unfair comment in terms of they they have appealed to certain types of brands probably over the years. And I think as the world has evolved to be more data-powered um, to all of the digital options that are available, you'd, you'd find that a lot of the bigger advertisers in particular are probably are probably using reach-based data, audience data. And unfortunately for B, that doesn't always show a, a benefit or a growth. You know, they're targeting a specific audience, but when you just want mass, sometimes it just doesn't make 
it onto a, onto a schedule and therefore the revenue may have changed. So unfortunately, because of their amazing niche, mm. which they which is still phenomenal, that isn't always appealing to to big brands and to advertisers. So as I said before, they're probably stuck in that evolution of of a sort of changing advertiser behaviour as well as a as a evolving listener behaviour. It is interesting though because Tom he's been very optimistic about the whole thing. And he has actually got expansion plans. You know, good on him. He's got he's got big ambitions. Yeah, but and realistic. He, oh, I think if you look at the way uh, a commercial station, be it youth or not, has has probably changed and evolved in the last five years from a from a streaming point of view, from a podcast content point of view, from a brand extension point of view. I think there are multiple opportunities across the landscape for. For, for brands to extend and to connect with listeners and consumers in different ways. Um, so I think that aspiration, I, I, I 100% would support it. I would think that over the years they probably haven't had the money to invest in that. So it's how do they mm. navigate through that, I guess. I guess people think of BFM and other student radios as kind of amateur hour, but what I'm hearing is it's anything but. Especially at BFM. Because 95 BFM's in Auckland, that's where all the media are, that's where all the bands are. It's just that next level. This is one of BFM's alumni, Charlotte Ryan, talking to Alexia Russell. That professionalism obviously set you up for, I guess we'd say, mainstream radio. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, although when we use the word professionalism in 95BFM, it's a different type of professionalism. I got so much experience at BFM in so many areas. You know, I got band management experience, event management experience, marketing experience. It is such a valuable asset, really, isn't it, to radio and the media full stop BFM and any student radio? They play a really important role in the the landscape. I doubt anyone across the radio industry, audio industry, wants to see B fail. It would be a a massive loss. So Mm. in terms of support, um, I'll be honest, I can't speak for everybody, but certainly with the RBA lens, you know, we'll, we'll... We'll engage with B and see what we can do to, to support in the ways that we can, which, which to be honest, are, are not extensive, but perhaps there are a few things that we can do to help them. Yeah. 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 Should they just shut down the radio side of things? I mean, the transmission alone, I think, is one of their biggest costs after wages. Um, yeah, again, difficult to kind of answer that without kind of truly knowing it. But saying that, if I was at B, I think I'd want to make sure that the rest of their access points are strong enough that, that the core of it, the transmission can be shut down. So but I think I think all of the, the journey for all radio stations is to be, is to become fully digital, the point at which that happens. There's a really old car fleet and a lot of in car listening still happens, so you've got challenges there. There's all sorts of considerations and what that journey looks like over the next I would guess 10 to 15 years rather than immediately. As the economy improves Will will it get easier? You know, will will the advertisers well, there, rethink? There is a there is a longer term trend which is impacting as well, which has been that the the drift of advertising revenue in broad terms out of a traditional linear channel into a digital channel, and the Googles and Facebooks of this world, you know, taking a chunk of that, and how our local businesses and publishers and broadcasters are you know are continuing to respond to that changing behavior so so you would like to think that in historical terms when the economy is tough 
the advertising market is a an indicator of you know future demand mm. and confidence. It, t- it tends to kind of slow down quite quickly, but it does tend to come back. It's, it's different by category. So you would hope that that in broad terms, that once the economy gets going again, that that will ease up for all of the commercial businesses, and you would hope that that would flow through a little bit to to be. But yeah, yeah. What else can they do if radio is sort of focusing on? the digital, a slow digital transition, what else could BFM do to, you know, raise its profile, get more people listening, get more people watching, clicking, whatever? I would assume that as part of that journey, they are looking at, at what their digital journey does look like. You know, they are available on on a lot of platforms. You know, I would think like any radio, audio business, it is it is about ensuring that their content is right for people, which I'm, I'm sure it is, um, ensuring that people are aware of the option and, and in a world of fragmentation, mm. it's hard to stay top of mind And but unfortunately equally that probably has a cost associated with it too in terms of marketing and so I would think they if they are clear on their product, clear on who they're talking to, hustle in terms of connecting with advertisers you know, if I was them, I'd be playing really hard the heritage, and we've got a, you know the sustainability card in terms of tugging on heartstrings because there will be a lot of people out there that that have very fond associations with the brand, and um, and kind of hope that that can that continues to to get them through. Well, this is the the compact disc no, library, as yeah, it were, CD library, I should say. Yeah, yeah, and so this is probably of more interest to. Um, you and I than it is some of our younger um, entrants. That's very nice of you to say that you and I, Tom, because I'm a completely (laughs) different generations. (laughs) But yes, this looks familiar to me. Um, And, you know, if if this was a different area, you'd be like a kid in a candy store. Um, And there's so much good music here and it's, you know, DJs have free reign to come in and pull from the vinyl shelves, the CD archive, and just go find something they've never heard before, play it on air. Tom's taking me through the rabbit warren that is BFM, the studios, the newsroom, the marketing department. It really is a throwback to the 80s and running on next to nothing. Is it hard to be alternative and edgy when it's all kind of out there anyway? It's a good question, and if you look at some of the comments that we get on social media from, I guess, for lack of a better term, the haters, they sort of say, well, why is BFM kicking around? I've got Spotify. Mm. And to that end, I say that, you know, we are not algorithmically driven. We have tastemakers and curators who will provide um, music and access to content that you would never find anywhere else. But And you want to expand. Absolutely. How? Well, I think the fact that we run off the faintest smell of an oily rag um, and we punch well above our weight, given the financial circumstances we face ourselves in and the the talent that we have, the eagerness of our volunteers to help support us, um, will help us get there. And I think we have to be an innovator. We Student media always has been, and we won't be locked into an archaic way of thinking, even though we have an archaic um, mass media format. But when you say you want to expand, expand in what way? Um, I've got international uh, aspirations, me personally, Mm. um, to fit alongside um, radio stations like NTS, Dublab, Triple J. These are household names in the music community and they 
are community radio stations and they are, um, you know, for the most part, digital as well. So there shouldn't be limitations on where our audience is. And we do have listeners all over the world who text in from like Brazil, France. Um, they get a hold of our email address in the studio and say, hey, loving the tunes from Brazil, you know, take care. Or I found this band through BFM. Right. Um, and it's really rewarding. So growth is not impossible given the financial constraints because yeah. I think we just mobilize our talent to enable them to do what they do best and offer those opportunities so that they can grow. What else? I mean, are you going to have to cut costs if you possibly can? There are ways you can cut costs on a micro level that will slowly bring you back into the red, black. I don't know. I was never good at poker. Um, black? Yeah. You there are wanna... ways to do that. And mm. I've been, like I would tell any one of my friends that being the general manager is the least rock and roll part of being involved in a radio station. I'm doing admin and paying bills and filling spreadsheets out. And so there are ways to look at those numbers as to where the costs are and slim them down as much as humanly possible. But you're looking at that on a micro level and that might add up over the course of five years where you might make a dividend because you went for a cheaper supplier of coffee beans. But that's not going to get us out of the six-figure hole. We have to be drastic, which is why when we... You know, I was given a mandate that had been put in motion as part of a five-point financial strategy when I was brought on that we were going to sell the records. The process of uh, cataloging them and itemizing them for insurance purposes had led to the discussion that these could be put to market. If they weren't being played, what were they doing? Mm. If they're not being secured for archival purposes, then why don't we make a quick buck? And so that was a priority as part of that strategy. It was... Like I said, the final resort, but it's the final resort as the first step. So you sold the your records, and that obviously wasn't enough. So then you're having this big concert, and will that be enough? Um, if we sell out the town hall, I absolutely think we could very well get back to zero, which would, for my mind, have saved BFM. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Phil Benge. Our producers are Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Tom Tremuin and Alistair Jamison. Kakite anō. Ka